Chapter Three of the Birthplace by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Gedge not only assented eagerly, one way was quite enough if it were the right one, but repeated it after this conversation at odd moments several times over to his wife. There can only be one way, one way, he continued to remark, though indeed much as if it were a joke, till she asked him how many more he supposed she wanted. He failed to answer this question, but resorted to another repetition. There are the facts, the facts, which, perhaps, however, he kept a little more to himself, sounding it at intervals in different parts of the house. Mrs. Gedge was full of comment on their clever introductress, though not restrictively, save in the matter of her speech, me and mother, and a general tone, which certainly was not their sort of thing. I don't know, he said, perhaps it comes with the place, since speaking in immortal verse doesn't seem to come. It must be, one seems to see, one thing or the other. I dare say that in a few months I shall also be at it, me and the wife. Why not me and the missus at once? Mrs. Gedge resentfully inquired. I don't think, she observed at another time, that I quite know what's the matter with you. It's only that I'm excited, awfully excited as I don't see how one can not be. You wouldn't have a fellow drop into this berth as into an appointment at the post-office. Here on the spot it goes to my head. How can that be helped? But we shall live into it, and perhaps, he said, with an implication of the other possibility that was doubtless but part of his fine ecstasy, we shall live through it. The place acted on his imagination. How surely shouldn't it? and his imagination acted on his nerves, and these things together, with the general vividness and the new and complete immersion, made rest for him almost impossible, so that he could scarce go to bed at night, and even during the first week more than once rose in the small hours to move about, up and down, with his lamp, standing, sitting, listening, wondering, in the stillness as if positively to recover some echo to surprise some secret of the genius loci. He couldn't have explained it, and didn't in fact need to explain it, at least to himself, since the impulse simply held him and shook him, but the time after closing, the time above all after the people, them, as he felt himself on the way to think of them, predominant, insistent, all in the foreground, brought him, or ought to have brought him, he seemed to see, nearer to the enshrined presence, enlarged the opportunity for communion, and intensified the sense of it. These nightly prowls, as he called them, were disquieting to his wife, who had no disposition to share in them, speaking with decision of the whole place as just the place to be forbidding after dark. She rejoiced in the distinctness, contiguous though it was, of their own little residence, where she trimmed the lamp and stirred the fire, and heard the kettle sing, repairing the while the omissions of the small domestic who slept out. She foresaw herself with some promptness, drawing rather sharply the line between her own precinct and that in which the great spirit might walk. It would be with them, the great spirit, all day, even if indeed on her making that remark, and in just that form to her husband, he replied with a queer, But will he, though? And she vaguely imaged the development of a domestic antidote after a while, precisely, in the shape of curtains more markedly drawn, and everything most modern and lively, 
tea, patterns, the newspapers, the female fiction itself that they had reacted against at Blackport, quite defiantly cultivated. These possibilities, however, were all right, as her companion said it was, all the first autumn. They had arrived at summer's end. As if he were more than content with a special set of his own that he had access to from behind, passing out of their low door for the few steps between it and the birthplace. With his lamp ever so carefully guarded, and his nursed keys that made him free of treasures, he crossed the dusky interval so often that she began to qualify it as a habit that grew. She spoke of it almost as if he had taken to drink, and he humoured that view of it by confessing that the cup was strong. This had been, in truth, altogether his immediate sense of it, strange and deep for him the spell of silent sessions before familiarity, and, to some small extent, disappointment had set in. The exhibitional side of the establishment had struck him, even on arrival, as qualifying too much its character. He scarce knew what he might best have looked for, but the three or four rooms bristled over much, in the garish light of day, with busts and relics, not even ostensibly always his, old prints and old editions, old objects fashioned in his likeness, furniture of the time, and autographs of celebrated worshippers. In the quiet hours and the deep dusk none the less, under the play of the shifted lamp and that of his own emotion, these things too recovered their advantage, ministered to the mystery, or at all events to the impression, seemed consciously to offer themselves as personal to the poet. Not one of them was really, or unchallengeably so, but they had somehow, through long association, got, as Gedge always phrased it, into the secret, and it was about the secret he asked them while he restlessly wandered. It was not till months had elapsed that he found how little they had to tell him, and he was quite at his ease with them when he knew they were by no means where his sensibility had first placed them. They were as out of it as he, only to do them justice, they had made him immensely feel. And still, too, it was not they who had done that most, since his sentiment had gradually cleared itself to deep, to deeper refinements. The holy of holies of the birthplace was the low, the sublime chamber of birth, sublime because, as the Americans usually said, unlike the natives they mostly found words, it was so pathetic, and pathetic because it was, well, really, nothing else in the world that one could name, number, or measure. It was as empty as a shell of which the colonel has withered, and contained neither busts, nor prints, nor early copies. It contained only the fact, the fact itself, which, as he stood sentient there at midnight, our friend, holding his breath, allowed to sink into him. He had to take it as the place where the spirit would most walk, and where he would therefore be most to be met, with possibilities of recognition and reciprocity. He hadn't, most probably, he hadn't much inhabited the room, as men weren't apt as a rule to convert to their later use, and involve in their wider fortune the scene itself of their nativity. But as there were moments when, in the conflict of theories, the sole certainty surviving for the critic threatened to be that he had not, unlike other successful men, not been born, 
so Gedge, though little of a critic, clung to the square feet of space that connected themselves, however feebly, with the positive appearance. He was little of a critic, he was nothing of one, he hadn't pretended to be the character before coming, nor come to pretend to it. Also, luckily for him, he was seeing day by day how little use he could possibly have for it. It would be to him, the attitude of a high expert, distinctly a stumbling-block, and that he rejoiced, as the winter waned, in his ignorance, was one of the propositions he betook himself, in his odd manner, to enunciating to his wife. She denied it, for hadn't she, in the first place, been present? Wasn't she still present, at his pious, his tireless study of everything connected with the subject? So present, that she had herself learned more about it than had ever seemed likely. Then, in the second place, he was not to proclaim on the housetops any point at which he might be weak, for who knew, if it should get abroad that they were ignorant, what effect might be produced? On the attraction, he took her up, of the show? He had fallen into the harmless habit of speaking of the place as the show, but she didn't mind this so much as to be diverted by it. No, on the attitude of the body. You know, they're pleased with us, and I don't see why you should want to spoil it. We got in by a tight squeeze, you know we've had evidence of that, and that it was about as much as our backers could manage. But we're proving a comfort to them, and it's absurd of you to question your suitability to people who were content with the putchins. I don't, my dear, he returned, question anything, but if I should do so, it would be precisely because of the greater advantage constituted for the putchins by the simplicity of their spirit. They were kept straight by the quality of their ignorance, which was denser even than mine. It was a mistake in us, from the first, to have attempted to correct or to disguise ours. We should have waited simply to become good parrots, to learn our lesson, all on the spot here, so little of it is wanted, and squawk it off. Ah, squawk, love, what a word to use about him! It isn't about him, nothing's about him, none of them care tuppence about him. The only thing they care about is this empty shell, or rather, for it isn't empty, the extraneous, preposterous stuffing of it preposterous? He made her stare with this, as he had not yet done. At the sight of her look, however, the gleam, as it might have been, of a queer suspicion, he bent to her kindly and tapped her cheek. Oh, it's all right. We must fall back on the putchins. Do you remember what she said? They've made it so pretty now. They have made it pretty, and it's a first-rate show. It's a first-rate show, and a first-rate billet, and he was a first-rate poet, and you're a first-rate woman, to put up so sweetly, I mean, with my nonsense. She appreciated his domestic charm, and she justified that part of his tribute which concerned herself. I don't care how much of your nonsense you talk to me, so long as you keep it all for me, and don't treat them to it. The pilgrims— no, he conceded, it isn't fair to them. They mean well. What complaint have we, after all, to make of them, so long as they don't break off bits, as they used, Miss Putchin told us so awfully, to conceal about their persons? She broke them at least of that. Yes, Gedge mused again, I wish awfully she hadn't. You would like the relics destroyed, removed? That's all that's wanted. There are no relics. 
There won't be any soon unless you take care. But he was already laughing, and the talk was not dropped without his having patted her once more. An impression or two, however, remained with her from it, as he saw from a question she asked him on the morrow. What did you mean yesterday about Miss Putchin's simplicity? It's keeping her straight? Do you mean mentally? Her mentally was rather portentous, but he practically confessed. Well, it kept her up. I mean, he amended laughing, it kept her down. It was really as if she had been a little uneasy. You consider there's a danger of your being affected? You know what I mean, of its going to your head. You do know, she insisted, as he said nothing, through your caring for him so. You'd certainly be right in that case about its having been a mistake for you to plunge so deep. And then, as his listening without reply, though with his look a little sad for her, might have denoted that allowing for extravagance of statement, he saw there was something in it. Give up your prowls. Keep it for daylight. Keep it for them. Ah, he smiled, if one could. My prowls, he added, are what I most enjoy. They're the only time, as I've told you before, that I'm really with him. Then I don't see the place. He isn't the place. I don't care for what you don't see, she replied with vivacity. The question is of what you do see. Well, if it was, he waited before meeting it. Do you know what I sometimes do? And then as she waited too. In the birth-room there, when I look in late, I often put out my light. That makes it better. Makes what? Everything. What is it, then, you see in the dark? Nothing, said Morris Gedge. And what's the pleasure of that? Well, what the American ladies say. It's so fascinating. End of chapter 3